ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dude, they were the best-selling duo of the 80s. Ready for the list? And you're going to love these songs. Ready? Rich Girl, Kiss on My List, oh. love. Private Eyes, oh. I Can't Go For That, No oh. Can, no can no Do, can do. Man Eater, oh. and their final number one in 1984 was Out of Out Touch. Of touch. How does Ooh, Out of Touch go? You're out of touch. Oh, yee! Okay. That was enough. No, no, no more. I don't need any more. That was good. And then 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Jeff Simons, you are cleaning out your parents' basements, going through your old stuff. And, I am in. Uh, and what I, have you discovered? Uh, well, the, I've discovered all kinds of stuff papers from high school and uh, Little League awards. Oh, but yeah. uh, I brought to the podcast two Sea of Fuzz Flyers, Ben Barton's spectacular college band. Nice. One, one ripping off Sun Ra's image, which I love. And the other one, I believe, stealing from The Dark Knight Rises by Frank Miller. So, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, wow. Good you had um, special guests on this show, Breaking and Entering. Very okay. nice. Yeah. Were they a duo? That'd be great. And then um, I think the Sea of Fuzz show was just you guys. Gummery Basement for one and Lunt Cafe for the other. Oh, uh, classics. So Ben, Barton, Sea of Fuzz, how many, how many members of this band? It's a five-piece. Okay. Two guitars and then a singer who, who wanted to play keyboards, but we didn't let him because we hated keyboards. <laughs> and then a bassist and a drummer. And, and uh, the Gummery basement is as advertised. It's even more of a basement than you might imagine. What was it called? Wind- Gummery is the name of the dorm. Oh god! And it's like if you if you've been in the basement of a dorm, right? Ante room to the basement was yeah. washer and dryer was, and that's where we would charge two bucks for a cup. And uh-huh. once you went through the ante room, then there was the big, open, disgusting, dirty space with yep. just columns everywhere for no reason, like structural things. Yeah. Like set up a stage, but not even on a riser. Like we would just put in our amps and just play to the assembled masses and way too loud in a windowless, dead room. <laughs> oh, God. Now, the good news was uh-huh. that everyone was super drunk. Okay. A lot. If you've been in a, a college cover band, I strongly yeah. recommend playing to a drunk crowd. It goes a lot better. What What was a Sea of Fuzz's go to song? Ooh, I will actually quiz Jeff on this. My favorite Sea of Fuzz covers were um, a version of The Seeker by The Who using the When the Levee Breaks drum beat instead and a little okay. mashup. They okay. did Twilight Zone by Golden Earring really, really well. <laughs> and they did a Rio surprise. That was the one well. I was going to choose, this Rio. You really Duran Duran? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we that's a really good Rio. And then we also had a really good um, uh, uh, You Give Love a Bad Name medley with Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Okay. It was pretty sweet. That is really too. great. Wow. Oh, yeah, no, I, they were my favorite. They were my favorite band, including mine. Like I much preferred <laughs> Sea of Fuzz to my own group. Um, they were great. They were Good classic. Stuff. Well, clearly, classic, classic basement uh, college rock band. Good stuff. Well, if you're if you're still listening, you've probably guessed the title of this podcast. It is Fifty Years of Music with Fifty Year Old White Guys. Uh, who else would would go down memory lane like that uh, except us? Uh, looking for that lost cool vibe we used to uh, 
have. I don't think I, you know. Well, I just, Jeff still plays live. He's amazing. Yeah, I was going to say, true. you're killing me, man. You're <laughs> killing Sorry. me. Uh, I'm in my own headspace right now, Jeff. Hey, uh, listen, I totally um, messed up yesterday. Uh, I didn't do Who Died 1972. Last week. Uh-oh. Last week you messed up. Last week. Don't pull back. Last, last week. That's right. We're not. <laughs> we're not putting oh, a bunch of podcasts in the can. You go ahead. Uh, real quick. Uh, haberdasher. President. The buck stops here. Oh, Truman. 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 I got uh, there first. I want that. got you there first. Check that off. Uh, also dying in 1972. Let's see. Baseball. Jackie Robinson. Baseball died? That was Jackie, it. That was it Jackie for Robinson. Excellent. It's one to one going into the last round. Law enforcement. Spying. Oh, J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover. Ben Barton wins the nice 1972 redundant. who died uh, here on the 1973 podcast on the Drive-In Podcast Network. Uh, ben, you had a note? Yes, uh, podcast archivist. I don't think that we've talked about Summer of Soul in this forum. I think we talked about it offline. Is that right? right? We, we did? did. Oh, we got to talk about it. That was okay. offline. Summer so of Soul. First, uh, we I can't believe we discussed Stevie Wonder without discussing the recording of Stevie Wonder playing in Summer of Soul, which Woo! is the most insane, demented thing of all time. So they basically, Summer of Soul, is, well, Jeff, you want to do it or no? Well, yeah, I mean, no, you go ahead and I'll jump in. The Summer of Soul is a, a bunch of this amazing, beautiful archival footage of the same summer as Woodstock, but instead of a single uh, event, it's a series of weekly shows in Harlem. And the shows are just an amazing cross-section of African-American life. And of course, you get all the scenes from Harlem. It's the, and the, the MC alone, like I just would listen to him talk. I'd listen oh. to him read the phone book. Like the MC is unbelievable. Anyhow, the... The documentary basically goes in chronological order from the first show to the last, except wisely, they went ahead and just pulled out one performance to start it. And the performance they start with is a 19 year old Stevie Wonder before uh, even Sun Seal delivered, right, Jeff? Yep. It's before yep. he goes on his run, but believe okay. me, all of the ingredients are there. He's ready. And they've got him there at the clavinet and he's just banging on the clavinet. I mean, it's freaking spectacular. And he's doing the, what I could now call the Eddie Murphy head bob. Yeah. He's banging on the clavinet and it's freaking great. He stands up. He stands up for the clavinet. Band's still going. And I, like, he's blind and he's 19. And I'm like, Stevie, where are you going, man? Sit back down. Like, you were doing great. He turns around. He walks right back to the drum set. He boots the drummer from the drum set. Let's go. And then he sits down and does a freaking Stevie Wonder drum solo. And I mean, it's not a, I mean, he's not John Bonham, but I mean, it's an amazing drum solo for a guy who (laughs) plays every instrument on the stage. And that's how they start the movie. And that just captures everything you need to know about Stevie Wonder. Like, I mean, like the, the, the freaking brass balls on this guy and the playing to get down there and yeah. do a drum solo. Amazing. It's so great. And then later they go back to that clavinet solo on a song called Shooby Doo Da Day. And I mean, it's just breathtaking. The guy, I've never seen a guy breathe music like that in front of people. And he's obviously, it's obviously part of the show, but it's also very obvious, obviously by the seat of the pants. And, and uh, um, I remember my son was watching and he turned to me, he's like, you know, there's a rumor among my age group that he's not blind, that that was like a thing because, you know, to, to up his, uh, his uh, profile. And I was like, only your generation would go yeah. back and look at that footage. <laughs> if that yeah. guy's not blind, but I can see why they're skeptical. I mean, good Lord almighty. What a show. Yeah. The movie's fantastic. And, and uh, the thing I took away from it is if that had been released in the same summer as Woodstock, like if there had been the Woodstock movie and that movie, at the same time, it would have completely changed our whole understanding of that generation. Like it's just another incredible example of a black um, arts movement playing second fiddle to a larger, largely white arts movement. If Sly and the Family Stone had been slotted in both in the Woodstock movie and this movie, and we'd seen how he was playing in those two communities, and that was all part of the understanding and conversation of American culture in 1970, I really, I can't even imagine how different the landscape would have been over the next seven or eight years. Um, but I mean, that's what I can't, I, I don't know about you guys, but I couldn't help thinking like, 
how did this take 51 years to get out? And if it had come out in its contemporary moment, how much would it have changed the dialogue of what the Woodstock generation looked like, acted like, believed in, uh, became politically aware of? It's like, really neat. Yeah. It's really neat to think. I mean, you talked about that when Aretha played the Fillmore West and she's yeah. like, I don't, I don't want to play there. You know, those, I don't know what those white folks want. Imagine if Stevie played Woodstock. Right. Here's another fascinating thing, Ben, you don't know. You know who the one artist they turned down to play the festival that asked over and over and over again was who? Jimi Hendrix. Oh, no, they way. didn't want him. They were like, no, no, no. This is a this is partly a political festival. And they didn't they didn't see him as huh. an activist black artist. And oh. so Hendrix spent the entire summer playing blues clubs in New York, um, hoping to get asked. He's like, I want to come and do a blues show with Buddy Miles and Billy Cox. I'm going to come to an all black trio straight blues homage show at the Summer of Soul. And they were like, nope, pass. The only artist they turned down. God, that really hurts my feelings. I mean, right? I'm super upset about that. And that, like, you know, and then he replaced his band and he yep. really struggled with uh, his racial identity along with the musical identity. Uh, and then he died. So it's like yeah. super, that's very upsetting. Isn't it? Yeah. You could well, tell that, actually that they felt like they, they were a little bit on the on the fence about um, having Sly. Yep, but totally. You could tell, like, it's great. That, like, that's one of the, the days that really stands out. Like, the, it's a festival crowd. And it's a free festival. And so Jeff having played to a free festival and I having attended a bunch of free festivals, <laughs> half of the people are literally there like, oh, it's free. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know I mean, like they in the no, crowd shots, no you've got people just getting down and dancing and super into it. And then you got other people who are like, I wonder when this is going to end so I can get a beer. It's just like, I'm just here to see it. Anyhow, that was not the slice situation. Like they, there's an actual rush to the stage of the slice situation. There's yep. security come out and hold them back. I mean, he was the biggest, one of the biggest or the biggest musical act in the country when he played there. It's awesome. Well, I'll tell you, this is a great lead into the Grammy winner for 1973. It sure is. Best album. We're going to go right back to the man. We are indeed. I'm trying, I, I don't even know what to choose from this record. I'll just choose this one. It's the Grammy winner. Inner Visions by Stevie Wonder. <laughs> hits off this one jeff i'm gonna say you know i love your pick <laughs> last week for talking book but this record yeah. might be better it's too yeah. high visions living for the city golden lady higher ground jesus children all in love is fair don't you worry about a thing and he's mr know-it-all that's oh. a album not a greatest hits collection that's so unbelievable. I, I actually couldn't choose it because i had living for the city as my oh, uh, right, best right. song back in the day all right good stuff Oh, gosh, 1973. Here's some news. Elvis in Hawaii. Oh, I remember that. I That's remember. Uh, striking. Nixon sworn in for the second term. Wait, what's the Elvis in Hawaii? It's a TV performance. It's like, oh, it's not special. the really dreadful one. It's not the really dreadful 77 right before he dies. Where he's but it's getting the, there. The one that Eddie Murphy makes fun of and delirious, but it's pretty bad <laughs> oh it's, it's bad. so this is the lemonade that yeah, the, refreshing refreshing drink. Drink. um <laughs> i have a record one of my favorite albums in my collection is an all talking elvis presley record called having fun with elvis on stage and it's just two 20 minute sides of the between song patter between elvis and the audience oh god and it was obviously just rushed out for uh but it, it was recorded in 1972 which made me or 73 which made me think about it and I mean, he's so pilled up, like he's making no sense. Like there's actually a moment where he's like, that made no sense at all. That made no <laughs> sense at all. Wah, 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 wah. I mean, it's, it's like that for 40 minutes and it charted. 
It made it charted the top 100. <laughs> That's yeah. terrific. Well, 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong, Jeff. That's right. And they were they were mildly confused on that one, I'm sure. All right. Uh, so this is also the year Nixon is sworn in for a second term, and Ferdinand Marcos is sworn uh. in as president for life. So he won that election. That was, that was a lot of people were going for that. President for life. Um, here's a, a, a seminal movie that was released uh, in our lives in 1973, Charlotte's Web. I remember that too. Every That's school the, year, they the would cartoon, show Charlotte's yeah. Web. Not a big Charlotte's Web fan, Ben. I like the book. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm totally serious. I thought the movie was a weak, pale reflection. <laughs> oh, awesome. Once Hollywood got their hands on it, they ruined I'm, it. I'm serious. <laughs> All I right. That's such a perennial, though. Like, I mean, were there just no movies they could show in school? Like, I saw The Red Balloon like eight times. Yeah, I saw Web The Red times. Balloon. All Look in The time. Red Balloon. Le Ballon Rouge. First of all, have either of you forced your children to watch the Red Balloon? No, I have not. No. Okay, so um, India won't <laughs> like this, but when we would go visit her parents, bless their uh -huh. hearts, they had a really extensive, uh, whatever, cassette tape of movies collection. They had a lot of movies, but the only movie that they had that was appropriate for children was the Red Balloon in the original, <laughs> whatever language it was, with their subtitles. Wow. And they made the, the girls, they forced the girls to watch it more than once. And it's a running joke with them how much they, and they just call it that stupid balloon movie. <laughs> and, which, by the way, I'm like, that's fair. Like, yeah. I've, I've seen it multiple times. Yeah. That's a, that's, you summarized the movie nicely. <laughs> yep. Perfectly. Don't have to watch it now. Yeah. Perfectly. I All right. Before. Uh, let's go to uh, a little music trivia. Uh, oh, which nice. band on an American tour in Tampa Bay breaks the Beatles concert attendance record? Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. 56,000. Is correct. Yeah, 56,800. That's a big show for it's 1973. A, it's an amazing picture of that from backstage. We can, it's like a giant, one of those giant like Rose Bowl style, one tiered right. stadium. Yeah, and yeah. of course, there's no projection screen. No. Right. I mean, like no. you're just there to like point and be like, I think those ants are Led Zeppelin. <laughs> like you just, there's no way anybody beyond the first ten thousand people could hear a damn thing. You know. Uh, the man. good news is they were all very high. So yes. I'm sure they had a good time. I'm sure they had a great time. Um, and then later in the year, 1973, there's a, a concert at Watkins Glen, uh, which I think six hundred thousand people go yep. to, Jeff. And that's uh, the Allman Brothers Band, the band, uh, somebody else, Grateful Dead. And the Grateful Dead, yeah. Yeah, those three, right? Yeah. That's a heck of a show right there. Uh, any, uh, how's the sound quality at Watkins Glen? The, the, you know, they've released, the Grateful Dead's set is out there. The band released the whole set as a CD in the 90s. And the Allman Brothers, I think, have leaked out a couple of... Uh, it was it was a hundred and something degrees, so it oh. didn't have the same kind of good feel, like good timey Woodstock vibe. It actually is more like Woodstock '99 than Woodstock '69. Like, yeah. Ooh, whoa. Uh, all right, well, let's get to the number one selling album in the year 1973. I could not believe this. Uh, really? I've never never heard this album before. Oh well, first of all, this is a kick-ass record, but I just cannot believe this number was one the number selling one selling out. record. All right, yeah. I'm gonna. I I don't know how if Ben will pull this off right off the bat. Let's see. It's the number one album. The world is a ghetto by War. The lead singer was also in The Animals. Just help me. Yeah, no. Eric Burden. Oh, all right. This is War. <laughs> oh, The okay. World is a Ghetto from 1973. Yeah. Okay. 
Wow. Any other good songs off this, Jeff? Oh, uh, yeah. City, Country, City, Where Was You At, the title track. It's a very challenging, strange record to go to, to be the bestseller. It has two 10-minute songs on it. Huh. It's, it's just one of those moments like people were high, but they were also really open to things being challenging in, oh, in popular yeah. culture. Like, it's yeah, just like, this is, a, this is just like, and it's, this is an inconceivable number one record of the year, even five years later after disco. Like, it's just, right. I, I'm actually like, it's one of, I'm like strangely encouraged that this was the best-selling album of 73. It suggests that we might be able to get back to a moment of complicated art enjoyment. Uh, okay, well, it's not the number one selling album of all time. No, no, that, no. That was released in 1973. Does anyone know? I mean, you've, you've looked at some albums that came out in 73. Any guesses as to what holds the no. number one selling spot? I'm going to guess there's an Eagles record from this year. There's a Steve Miller record from this year. It I'm going to guess it's, is it might be Houses, too. Is that Houses of Holies from this year? Uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. I thought that was That's 72. Awful. No, it's uh, Dark Side. I mean, I knew that, actually. Yeah, no, so 72 is Dark Side, isn't it? Uh, no. Not according to Billboard. Well, then I'm totally wrong. How about that? Wow. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Um, I never liked that. <laughs> Just. I don't get I, that. Did I, mean, I need I like marijuana? It. No, I mean, it? I like it. It's a little slow for me. And um, there are definitely moments that I'm like, you know, like the ticking clocks that start time go on forever. Listen to time. <laughs> and like, you'll just have this moment when uh, you're just. Uh, tick, tick. Yeah, tick. it keeps going. But I, I mean, it's a good record. I'm, I'm stunned that it has the cult around it. It's amazing how many copies that it sold. But um, it's yeah, certainly- It held a record for being in the top 200. For yeah. 12 years, 13. It was in yeah. the top 200 for like 14 years. Like yeah. it was just the most perennial seller. And I get it. It's a cool cover. It's a cool concept. There's a myth around it, Oh. you know, but did, uh, yeah. Did I'm, you just lead us into our next segment? Maybe. The cool cover of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Um, I can picture it. I'm sure many of our listeners can picture it right now. But the homework was- to come up with your your top three most compelling, personally compelling, most memorable uh, albums, the covers uh, in your lifetime. Well, what do you got? Let's go back and forth, one to the other. Ben Barton, throw one out. So first of all, I assume Jeff cheated. I do not have three. I don't have three either. Okay. I only have two. I only, have, I only did uh, bands, and I did two bands. So I'm actually. I oh really? Question. Yeah. Well, right, you I'll, do you, and then I'll do me. No, no. All right. Well, I was gonna. I was trying to think of like. I mean, there are individual covers I love, but I was trying to think of the band when I was a kid, and uh, the covers that made me go all in on the band, even like before I, I'd heard all the music, where I was just like so arrested. The first cover I saw, where I was like, I'm buying that record. I don't even care. I don't know anything about it. Was U2's War, yeah. which I bought before New Year's Day, before I'd heard it. But I was in the record store to. I, to buy something else and I, that boy was looking back at the cover with me in that angry face and like i kind of looked like that kid and i kind of felt like that kid looked I'm, i was like i'm taking that home right now and i thought it was a perfect encapsulation of the record and then a u2 went on a kind of a roll there like i thought the cover of the unforgettable fire was really evocative of what it sounded like and i thought the cover of the joshua tree joshua was really tree yeah evocative so i i have u2 as my first band where i'm like the cover art really helped explain the band sell the music communicate the mood yeah um Go so they're my, that's my first that my first one is the, uh, the boy on u2's war love it all right ben all right yeah so i didn't do it that way basically to me the greatest album art encapsulates the album and becomes part of the experience of the album it like yeah. channels it, it explains it. It is the album itself. It's additive. Um, so the, and I just went in chronological order. So Blue Train. Yeah, great. Uh, Coltrane one where he's like, he's just like uh, stroking his chin and looking contemplative captures Coltrane. Perfect. It's a beautiful picture of him. It's all in blue, like the blue period. Um, next one chronologically, my favorite Hendrix record controversially 
Axis Bold as Love. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a good like, choice. That's the only weird hippie album like that that I can stand with like the cobras going out behind his head. It's like super trippy. Um, but that's what that record is like. You know what I mean? That, yeah. that record's a 67 record. Isn't oh, that boy. insane? That yeah. is really that is early a- for the psychedelia. I'm looking at the cover. Woo! Yeah. yeah. That's good All sorts of stuff going on there. Um, my dad's record collection included the original Rolling Stone Sticky Fingers with the working zipper on yeah. the fly, which no. is just freaking amazing. And ruins all the records around it. No, is- totally. It just pun- I took it with me to college and it punished the other, I guess, punishes exile or whatever was next to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I think I did Goat Set. I kept Exile separate. Yeah. Um, and then I can't, give me your second band because you may get the next one I'm going to say. My second band is The Clash. Yes! I know yeah. that was where I was going. Yeah, yeah London Calling, uh, Paul Simonon smashing a bass on stage at the New York City Palladium and then using the lettering that imitates Elvis Presley's yep. very first long playing record. It's a perfect, yeah, like, a great cover. rock and roll is still here, but we've taken it and it's different. And uh, the British-American conversation that it evokes. And, uh, and I love... I love uh, the Sandinista covers. One of my all-time favorite pictures of a rock band ever. Um, all, the, all of their records, like our record covers, kick ass. But London Calling was like, I mean, I, I wanted to be Paul Simon yeah, right. so badly, you know. So that one's that was my second. I'm, I'm sorry. Can I go back? Is the Rolling Stones Sticky Fingers? Is that I'm looking at the album cover right now. Is that an actual zipper? So on the, the yeah. it was originally released in an actual zipper that you could unzip and then open up and it had like I, I think I might have had a little picture of the lip and tongue, but it, it was very uh, aggressive. So me. it wasn't mixed like, penis. Like if you unzipped it, like, no, Mick. no, it was not okay, that for sure. Yeah. But yeah, oh, that's a, anyhow, yeah, yeah, that would be expensive. Calling is the best rock album, period. Yeah, um, it's such a fuck you. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, it's I absolutely love it. Perfectly explains everything about that record. Jeff's got it completely right with that. Um, this is off the off the beaten path one, but the Pearl Jam versus cover with oh, the sheep's head sheep's in head. the wire, like just their freaking fury. They're so mad. And that, that animal just captures it perfectly. That's a great cover. Um, Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly is like my, that's my actual oh, favorite that's rap cover. Oh, that's a great cover. That's a great call. And his whole crew all like up in front of the White House, like yeah. your grills with it. Perfect. Actually, and, all of Lamar's covers. I like the previous one where it's like- Oh, the uh, Good Kid, Mad City yeah, one. Yeah, sitting around the kitchen their thing. table. Totally. Oh yeah, it's yeah, great. For sure. Wow, um, okay. And then St. Vincent, St. Vincent. The one where she's oh, on the yeah. throne with the weird yep. lettering around her and stuff with her <laughs> hair all done. It's the most intense, weird cover. And it's so St. Vincent. It's perfect. That's a great uh, choice. Those are great choices. Wow. All right. Well, I'm going to save mine. Uh, for and if my... I could do one more, I would oh, do yeah. Elvis Costello's This Year's Model, where he's yeah, peering he out from behind the camera all yeah. weird. Like, that's got... perfect. Like all the paranoia and like, rage but also like i see you all like all those songs are so eviscerating of people and things and like that's a perfect cover oh so good um all right cleaning up 1973 the knicks defeat the lakers four to one ben barton to win the nba championship yes Uh, wasn't even close four to one killed there's a solar eclipse in 1973 that lasted seven minutes seven minutes the next Seven minute long solar eclipse will occur in June of 2150. I'll see you guys there, man. Yeah. <laughs> Take me a seat. Mark me that way. That's Down. when I that's when the uh, chamber will release me back <laughs> and Season unfreeze me. 197 <laughs> of the show. Um, uh, <laughs> all right. And finally, our invitation to cynicism for 1973. What is the most annoying ongoing sports thing of our lifetime the most annoying ongoing sports thing in our lifetime the playing of gary glitter's rock and roll part two that's my voice <laughs> um Interesting. It's not the designated hitter, which which does indeed debut in 1973 uh, with the New York Yankees. 
that is not what I was going for. I don't know. There's there's many annoying things. Yeah, help us Na out. Too. NASCAR in general. In Go ahead. In, in 1973, the Dolphins uh, finished their undefeated oh. season. And every year since, as soon as there's no longer an NFL team that's undefeated, they all get all together. The, all those guys get together and bust out the bubbly. And somehow ESPN is there with cameras to cover it. And I'm, You know, it doesn't bother me that much. It doesn't bother me at all. Done that's, with it. That's, well, that's because you, you, that's because of that stupid helmet catch. That you were Don't bring life. up the helmet catch. <laughs> I told you never to bring that up. <laughs> uh, let's get to our three albums. Our three albums. Um, okay, so we're actually in the same kind of world for 1973. Um, again, uh, this is the year Quadrophenia came out, and I'm not okay. doing Quadrophenia because we've talked about The Who, but I mean, that, that is actually my favorite record. But my Off the Beaten Path choice... It's not your favorite Who record, though, right? Who's next the, is your... Yeah, Who's Next is my favorite. But I mean, Quadrophenia is my favorite yeah. record of 1973. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Love that record. But I love this record so much. Um, in 1985, I consumed all the rock journalism I could get my hand on. I subscribed to Rolling Stone... Uh, I read every like local music paper uh, and that's, I was especially on the lookout for the stuff that had gone out of print in the 70s that you couldn't get like Big Star who I've talked about and like those kinds of records where like you can't find them they're all they're, they're $25 used and beat up when you find you, you can't afford them in 1985 if you're me um, tiny little Hannibal records owned by a record producer named Joe Boyd who if you look up you'll be like Jesus this guy recorded everybody puts out a tiny, creates a tiny label to put out out of print records from the seventies that he thinks everybody needs to hear. And his first release is a, is a folk rock duo named Richard and Linda Thompson. Richard Thompson right. had been the lead guitarist of Fairport convention, um, which had been very popular, but, but he left Fairport convention for a bunch of reasons in 1972, signed a solo deal with Island Records, put out a solo record called Henry the Human Fly, which is the worst selling record in the history of Island Records. It sold <laughs> 984 copies the year okay. it was made. So not off to a great start, but he has fallen head over heels for a, um, a background singer that he met named Linda Peters. And a whole lot of stuff happens very quickly for them. They fall madly in love, they get married, and Thompson can, uh, falls head over heels for Sufism, which is a kind of a seeker uh, subset of, Muslim, of the Muslim religion. Um, and they join a Sufism communal living situation north of London and essentially borderline cultish life. And uh, they become super hardcore devout Muslims, the two of them. Um, they become a duo, Richard and Linda Thompson. And they start recording... Um, they start performing as a duo. They get a little band together made up of guys who had been in Fairport and around that scene, guys from like bands like Steel Eye Span and these this kind of like very hardcore traditional uh, English folk rock groups. And Island gives him a second choice. And they record a debut record as Linda, Linda, Richard and Linda Thompson called I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight. And it is, it's a beautiful record. Um, it is 10 songs. Um, there's one song that hasn't aged well that's so folky that I can't even handle it. But the, the high points so outweigh the low points. Um, this beautiful song, The Cavalry Cross, is on there. A ballad called Withered and Died. The title track is iconic. There's an amazing uh, ballad about uh, being an alcoholic called Down With a Drunkard's Roll. There's love songs. There's breakup songs. But the first song really captures uh, everything I love about Richard. They go on to make four or five records and then they on a tour of america in 1982 um richard falls in love with the woman who owns mccabe's music shop um and they break up and continue the tour and the two of them just break up live on stage night after night in fact there's a night where linda's so mad she just cold cocks richard uh and knocks him out uh this... live live on the stage oh. like it's the ugliest saddest story but the music they left behind particularly this record a record called pour down like silver from okay. 75 and the last record shoot out the lights um what you're going to hear here is everything that's great about uh these guys everything they do well um richard thompson's one of the best 
guitar players you will ever hear. Um, he's an even better acoustic guitar player than he is an electric player, and that's saying something. He's a brilliant live player on the electric guitar. He's a jaw-dropping, astonishing acoustic guitar player. Um, this, this song has got the, the kind of restrained folk rock quintet sound that they go for. You hear um, Richard's voice. You hear what a gorgeous... Uh, uh, counterpoint Linda's voices to his. And then I'm going to play through just his first take on the solo. And you hear his weird, angular, instantly recognizable guitar playing. Um, and this is one of those, it's just one of those records that um, I bought it in 85. I hadn't heard a word. I put it on and I was like, I felt like taken somewhere else. Like these, these records transport you to another place. And you might decide you don't, you don't like the place it transports you to. I really do. So following Nick Drake, their dear friend, the record, they, the second record they put out this year includes Richard's goodbye to uh, Nick Drake called Never Again, which is really gorgeous. Um, but this is when I get to the border from I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight by Richard and Linda Thompson. I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight by Richard and Linda Thompson. Good stuff. I did not know that story of their romance, and and you would think uh, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham would have been taking notes. Like, oh, so is this going to be difficult to perform together after we break up? Yeah, there's no Pogues without these guys. There's no um, World Party or Water Boys or Hot House Flowers or any of the stuff that you particularly I love. Today. Yeah, it yeah. starts here with this with this record. All of that kind of an attempt to take traditional music and modernize it right. without losing the essence of it, I think starts with these records. So really cool. What's the name of the record again? I want to see the bright lights tonight. Ah, a great title too. So I was very happy last week with Nick Drake to admit uh -huh. that I listened to that record once. I don't know when Jeff recommended it to me <laughs> when I was 21 and I didn't care for it. Uh -huh. And I, I was like, well, that, that really sounded good. I'm going to, I'll give that another listen. That is not my, experience no of this definitely record. not so first i will say uh what's the name <laughs> of the great richard thompson record there is a record that's great rumor and sigh yeah rumor great. and sigh is a legit great record and if okay. you want to start on the richard thompson journey you want to start there the vincent black lightning is on that and why yeah. must i plead um which i think are his biggest hits right i mean he always yeah no, that's the record. yeah that's the one where he had like a little peak of peak of fame for sure but this these records these richard and linda thompson records are just a jeff he's just on cavalry cross himself like carrying his little burden trying to sell it to people along oh, the way and this is a classic one where he just pounded me with this and then uh -huh. like i actually liked the, the I, I listened through all these stupid records and i was like oh, it's really it's boring the songs oh. less too it's too clever by half i just didn't care for it um there's no like like he he is a good guitar player, but he's not shredding here. There's no passion. I don't feel anything for it. Um, so then I listened through all these, didn't like them. Then I listened to Rumor and Sigh, and I liked it. And Jeff was like, see? See? <laughs> I'm, ready. I'm right. I'm cheating. Now you have to go back. Now you have to. So I was like, all right, whatever. I went. I go back. 
I have one like back. It. I have it's it's actually shoot out the lights. That's the one that that I think is that your favorite. I don't know, for whatever reason that's the one that I keep go back to listening to. But um, yeah, I just don't care for this at all. That's like, fair enough. I I, just, so, I knew I was really I knew I was dipping in the well. Like to go Nick Drake, Richard Thompson. I was yeah. like, Oh, Ben was so nice last week. I knew he was gonna I knew he was gonna spear me this week. Yeah, but, the uh, extra finger picky acoustic part that comes in the chorus. I really yeah, didn't care yeah. for that. And the solo is just like rawr, rawr, rawr. I mean, he's not uh, he's not doesn't have speed enough for me. Fair enough. Wow, this is a a lyric guy, is he not, Jeff? Uh sometimes I actually. Um, some of these older records are definitely way too 17th century, like Sawbones waiting say, at yeah. the door. I was like, yeah. even I, as I was listening to it, I was like, oh, Ben's going to crush me. Oh, <laughs> <forget it. laughs> so great. So great. Well, maybe uh, it's a listener out there who will get on the Richard Thompson, uh, Linda Thompson train uh, and Ben Barton will be left behind at the station. Happily. Happily, Happily left behind. <laughs> Waving. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I gave that train a lot of chances. Right. Enjoy your old timey me. train ride with real <laughs> coal. Right. All right, Ben, let's go to you. <laughs> All right. So we enter a period of struggle for your Ben Barton. Oh, no. 73, 74. I'm actually stealing from 75 because I was so lost in 73. Um, I just, there's not a, a single record from this year that speaks to me that hard. I looked at Intervisions, I looked at Goat's Head Soup, I looked at Let's Get It On, um, Al Green Call Me, Headhunters. Those, those are literally the records that I've listened to in the last five years. Um, and I just don't listen to these records very much. Okay. There's one record that I've listened to more than any other record from this year, and it's just disingenuous and stupid for me to choose an Al Green or record that I don't listen to as much as this record. And it's Houses of the Holy. Um, this is a transition point for Led Zeppelin. This is when they broaden out their sound. The four bugs me because it's such a classic rock record and it's so heavy. This has got a whole lightness to it. It's got a great diversity to it. They really start to bring in all the members of the band. Like you get a whole bunch of more keyboard stuff um, from Jones and uh, yeah, this is my, uh, but the, the, the sad thing is this isn't even my favorite Led Zeppelin record but it is my favorite record from this year. Let's go ahead and do this over the hills and far away. Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin. So that song is an encapsulation of what I love it's about this record. So like, um, everybody got a home studio, especially Paige. And this is the first record where they came in where he had all the arrangements laid out. Like every, you can hear all the different, la- the first run through is a regular acoustic guitar. Then he's got the 12 string. Then he's got the regular guitar with the 12 string and they bring in the rock part. Um, all of that stuff is arranged beforehand. I, I already chose uh, the rain song from this, so I apologize for repeating, but what can I say? The rain song, he had completely arranged all of the tunings, all of the different parts. Um, and the, the song remains the same, is the same thing, like these really, really, really complex 
the guitar sound is super likable. Like they lighten up on the fuzz and they let the filigree show. You know what I mean? It's a brighter guitar sound where you can really, really, really hear pages playing. And they're just a more mature band. They're playing, they're moved beyond just blues into this more diverse thing. And also Paige is being really generous with the other guys in the bands. Like he's giving Plant his due, he's giving John Paul Jones his due, and obviously Bonham is Bonham. Um, I love this one. It's a transition record and it's a transition into the stretch of Led Zeppelin. That's my absolute favorite. I hardly, I mean, like Zeppelin II is a masterwork. I hardly ever go back and listen to one, two, three, or four, but I listen to Houses of the Holy, Physical Graffiti, and Presence like just on repeat. I still listen to those records. Awesome. Two is my favorite. I still listen to two. Two is uh, inexhaustible for me, like, because it's so off the cuff and and recorded on the run and it's not overblown. And like, I get why four bugs you. It kind of bugs me too. Like it just, I mean, it, I, I don't know. It's like, I, I can't hear those songs again. New. Yeah. So I uh, like it's just like, I mean, it's and it's like a quarter pounder. Like I know what I'm going to get before I even bite into it. But two, I love. I just and but this is my second. Well, I'm not anti two. I mean, two yeah. is great. No, but I mean, I still think it's fun to listen to. But this is my favorite, second favorite record, and I think it's the most interesting. And I think it's, uh, I mean, in a weird way, it's the best in the sense that it shows all the different struct, all the different talents that the band has. You really summed it up really well. Funnily, this is my fifth favorite song on that record. Wow. I prefer Song Remains the Same, Rain Song, Dancing Days, and The Ocean to huh. Over the Hills. I just like, and that's the thing, like there's, there are so many great songs in this. And, and even the throwaways, like The Crunch is, is a nice break. It's oh, it's so funny. funny. So and I like, funny. I like No Quarter. Like, I just like. Oh, me too. I, well, I, I especially on the album. The live yeah. version's not okay, but the album version's great. It's, yeah, it's man, great. it's dark and cool and yeah. it doesn't bother me at all. Like, I, I, it's neat. So how many it, how many albums studio albums did Led Zeppelin put out? Uh, let's see. This is the fifth Physical Graffiti, six Presence, Seven. and then uh, Into the Outdoor, right? Eight, and then you can if you want to count Coda, that's nine. The Outtakes record, yeah. yeah. So eight or eight All right, eight I, won't, and a half. I won't count that. All right, but so kids are away for two weeks in camp. This is what I'm going to do. I've never uh, listened to a whole Led Zeppelin album, and so like even that song, I love that song. I know every word to that song. I had no idea. Uh, that was the title. I don't know the names. I know the name of Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Which, good work, man. Yay me. Off to a good start. Off to a good start. But like, I, that's a band I've, I did not like when I was young and I've grown to appreciate them so much. Um, but it's time for me to put on my big boy pants and listen to their albums to and be able to know like the titles of the different songs that I like. I, I didn't like them either. I actually in high school, I was like a punk rocker who thought Led Zeppelin was like, you know, classic Old. rock bombast. It took the box yeah. set coming out when we were all in college, when they remastered the whole catalog. And I, I, I took it home and listened. I was like, boy, I was wrong about this. Yeah. Horrific. So I, I had a gigantic turnaround. I think being friends with Ben made a little bit of a difference too. Like, I came to Haverford like all the Zeppelin sucks. And then by the time I was hanging out with Ben, I'm like, well, yeah. I'm going to have to. Oh, I was wearing you out with it yeah. for sure. But that's that's, right. a, you that's right. amazing. It, he's right. gotten both of us. Yeah. Just like you've gotten both of us into Richard Thompson. This exactly. Is cool. <laughs> exactly. Equal, like, equally important musical figures. Too. Yeah, Speaking of important musical figures. This is the one you're worried about, right? You're about to hurt our Worried? Family. I'm bringing you guys on board. Yeah, I'm going to recruit the two of you to my team. Let's go back with me, if you will, to 1967, where a battle of the bands in Philadelphia ends in gunshots <coughs> as rival gang members begin shooting inside the auditorium. Two different musicians from two different bands end up in the same service elevator hiding from the gunfire. And so begins Hall and Oates. Oh, One of the greatest duos music has ever seen. And in 1973, they give us the greatest album cover ever, Abandoned Luncheonette. Look at that cover. You know what it's a picture of, Jeff? It's a picture of an abandoned luncheonette. <laughs> That's right. It totally <laughs> speaks to the content. It's, it's right there for you. Let's go with, oh gosh, what should we pick? It's, there's so many good ones. Let's, let's go with She's Gone. 
Abandoned Luncheonette by Hollow Notes. 54 million listens on Spotify. I think that clav- that old clave should be louder. That bring it up. past a minute <laughs> i don't want daryl hall's lawyers after us here we go everybody's high on consolation everybody's trying to tell me what is right for me yeah. my daddy tried to bomb me with a sermon but it's plain to see that Good stuff. I mean, she's gone. Ben Barton, what can we do? She's gone. There's nothing gone. to be done. Yeah, is, she's gone. Ah, that's the that's that song. Yeah. Wait. If we'd hung in there for another seven minutes, maybe we would have gotten to the chorus of that song. Is that what you're telling me? You hey, know don't, that, don't rush their breakup. Come don't on. Us get to the chorus. This song breaks that rule a lot, man. Wow, that took forever. Can't believe it. Which what record has Rich Girl on it? I thought this record had Rich Girl. No, on. Rich Girl is the one before. No, oh, no, okay. it's after. It's later. I actually oh, it later? up because I oh, was Sarah like, Smile comes before. I was like, tell me that Timmy's not choosing the one that doesn't have Rich Girl on it, and it's after. <laughs> that's what Timmy did. Well, remember, I chose Rich Girl. So, anyways, it's bigger than both of us is uh, Rich oh, Girl. Rich Girl, right? Nineteen seventy-six is bigger than both of us. Did you know that Holland Oates? Only had, and I say only, only had six number ones in their career. Dude, they were the best-selling duo of the 80s. Ready for the list? And you're going to love these songs. Ready? Rich Girl, Kiss on My List, love. Private Eyes, I Can't Go For That, No 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 Can Do, do. Maneater, and their final number one in 1984 was Out of Touch. Out of Touch. How does Ooh, Out of Touch go? You're out of touch. Oh, yee! Okay. That was enough. No, no, no more. I don't need any more. That was good. And then the top tens, the over 16 years. She's gone. Sarah Smile. You make my dreams. Which is amazing. You make my dreams is an undeniable, song, phenomenal uh, classic. Say it isn't so. I hate that song. That and song sucks. Method of Modern Love, which I'd forgotten about. M-E-T-H-O-D-O-F-O-M-O-D-E. It's the method of modern love. <laughs> that's a song? That's a <laughs> thing that happened? I don't remember that at all. That's, that's a song, great song. That's that was a top 10 hit. Horrible Come song. on. Anytime you're spelling things, people get people get excited. Like, oh, I know that how to spell that. I'm, a, I'm fascinated by Hollow Notes because they're like this rip-off Philly soul, like gamble and huff white guy thing. And then they become like a total new wavy pop act. And then they become a synthy like 80s DX7 and they 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 rule the roost in all three spaces. It's kind of amazing. Like they, kind of is amazing. they should have been killed each time <laughs> they tried to make that pivot. And instead they like. They really, it's really, it's really remarkable Private from, a, from a sales uh, perspective. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Did they invent Philly Soul? Oh my God, Tim. That'd be totally <laughs> right, Tim. Thank you for mentioning that. Good job by you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So on the Wikipedia like page, you remember when we were talking about how like, yeah, black culture got like negated, like Gamble and Huff, Gamble and Huff just sent people to your house. Jokes. These are funny jokes. <laughs> the Wikipedia page. This is their second album. Uh-huh. And under genre, <laughs> we've got uh-huh. soft rock, which I freaking hate, blue-eyed soul, worse yet, and then folk rock. I'm like, I hate all of these things. Yeah. I hate this. 
Like, and oh, then there's what this is the She's Gone's the only song that that, that anyone's going to recognize on this album, right? Is oh, there another song? Oh, When the Morning Comes. Go ahead, give him a little When the Morning Comes. No, please don't. Little folk. This is, this is, nobody knows this, Tim. Oh, come on. Everybody knows When the Morning Comes. No. I'm going to stop there. Tim also loves a song called Lady Rain. He's, he's, uh, I happen to know. I only own this record because it was the only record Tim owned when I met him. And I was like, I got to get to know my friend. So I bought a bench and luncheonette for 75 cents on cassette at a yeah. Santa yeah. Fe, New Mexico used record store. You wore that out, didn't you? Stuck it in my car. And I remember I just listened to the whole thing, made myself go gate to gate. And I was like, I got to get Tim some records. That was my reaction to abandoned luncheonette. Like, this is like- you know, on a cassette, it's hard to fast forward. Like if you, yeah. bought, if you bought the abandoned luncheonette CD, as soon as you like, what was that noise that wasn't the guitar <laughs> and the bass? What was that? Oh, I don't know. It's like some kind of mid seventies key, like synthesizer that like weighs seven hundred yeah, pounds. Sure. As soon as that noise came in, I was like, "Dodgeball!" Oh, <laughs> no, that's not necessary. Well, I'm glad, Jeff Simons, that you that you threw yourself into them rather than abandoning your friend. Thank you. Way to work with me instead of being like, "Well, that guy." Never want to see him again. Oh, not at all. All right. Well, good stuff. In 1973, uh, you guys tried real hard, but hauling out's over Led Zeppelin. It was close. First of all, I understand why they abandoned the luncheonette. Like the, the, the soundtrack in there, everyone was like, I can't even eat. I'm puking while this music's going on. Uh, on the album cover, you see the abandoned luncheonette, but you do not see the demolition crew waiting off just to the right. There's a huge bulldozer. You need to plow that thing under. One of those big wrecking. One of those big wrecking balls. Is that the back cover? The back cover is that. Uh, right? It's just wrong, the wrecking ball wrong. just about to plow through it. All right, gentlemen. Hey, um, since we're not going to do another Hall of Oats. The yeah. next record is War Babies. I don't know why you didn't choose that as your cover. And they're Tim. wearing weird that, makeup on that, that one. No, 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 dude. That's 1975's oh. Daryl Hall and John Oates, which is, they're bringing it. They yeah. They're bringing it. That, that's that their one. glam rock record, right? I mean, Yeah, like, totally. They got a lot of blush on. They're looking really good. Two, I'm gonna dec- get awesome. two decades of sales. I'm going to give on. you a little method of modern love on the fade out here. So, oh, I love this new. Ben, you won't believe this one. you wanted. Oh my god, that is a keyboard sound. Unbelievable. Top 10 hit in the United States. Let's go. This sounds like a parody of 80s music. Here we go, ready? I just had to hear him sit. That method of love. Amazing. Doesn't it sound like you you threw sound right now? (laughs) I want that to announce me as I come in. I know. It's Uh, like you take 80s music and put it in a blender, and that's what came out. All right. I if Ben and Jeff, if you guys promise to do this, I'll do this. Play that as our song for the first day of classes. Like just start playing it and then walk into the classroom. Let's go. Blink. First impressions never get fixed. I will. Be, that will be a lost year. That, I, honestly, the students at law school last three years. I'll be done in that building for three years. I'll never live in there. Yeah. All right. I'll see you guys next week. Hey, well done. Thank you, friends. If you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hey, guys. It's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.
Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid.